0: My name is Christopher Thomas Plant. My name is Ross Frustig. Welcome to the Resties, where the rest of the best discuss the best of the rest. I apologize if I sound unusual. I have a throat infection. <laughs> <laughs> this week, we're talking about a movie. Not, not a video game, a movie based on a video game. We're talking about the Super Mario Brothers movie from 1993. Not to be confused with the new one, this is a live-action movie starring none other than Dennis Hopper, Bob Hoskins, and John Leguizamo. I am so excited that we are doing this. Uh, but before we do it, there was a little detail in this movie that I'm not sure that you picked up. No, and I, I was curious if if maybe it if you felt like you were able to enjoy it on a level that I couldn't, and that is this is a movie about New Yorkers. <laughs> it is a movie about Brooklyn. Yeah. And I'm curious, were, were there like maybe words that they, they said them, but I couldn't hear them, you know, like how a dog can hear sounds that I can't hear.
1: Well, I will say this, and we'll talk about it as we talk about the movie proper, but mm-hmm. the perhaps the most authentic moment of the movie from a New Yorker perspective is there's some women that get kidnapped and taken to Koopa's Mm -hmm. kingdom and Mario goes to save them and one of the girls has like a very, very clearly a Queens accent, which I think most people outside of New York maybe can't identify the difference between Queens and Brooklyn. And I'm like, that's not a Brooklyn accent. That's a Queens accent. But then one of the other characters is like, oh, don't worry about her. She's from Queens. And I was like, oh, snap.
0: They did it right. Good for them. So, can I tell you something? What? So, I, I, I watched this movie with Steph, my wife, yeah. who surprisingly really enjoyed it. The movie ends. Five seconds pass. She looks at me and she goes, I think Fresh is going to talk about that Queen's line. No way. I'm not joking. You can text her. <laughs> she, I love it. I love I mean, it. I do live in Queens, so you, I, I have a lot of Queens past. Yeah, you, it well, and, 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 and you know what? They're very nice because, uh, they're like, where are you from? And they're like, oh, we're from Brooklyn, except for her. She's from Queens. That's okay. Yeah, yeah. They're, they, they're, they're like, they're, they're accepting of it, you know? Yeah. How, how about we, uh, take a break and we can actually dive into this movie? It's very lucky she wasn't from Staten Island because that got kind of that would have gone another way. That would have been embarrassing. <laughs> She's from Manhasset. Um, see you on the other side. So, the Super Mario Brothers movie. Yeah, why did this happen by the way? Cuz Chris Plant, you
1: you messaged me uh, like a couple weeks ago and you were like, "What do I have to do to get you to do an episode about the Mario Brothers movie from 1993?" And like, granted there is a new Mario movie coming out, but it's still what, a month away,
0: so we're early on it. I So wh- w- what was the impetus? There's a lot of Mario happening, right? Yes. The, the the theme park just opened and that's Universal true. Studios Hollywood the movie is on the way the press cycle for the movie is already in full force right yeah so we, we want to get out ahead of time the other reality is this movie is uh, it will now just fully disappear there can be only one uh yeah which i kind of say as a joke but also i don't know if you've tried to google it if nintendo (laughs) agreed to do this new super mario brothers movie for just to erase the the seo of the old super mario brothers movie i would believe it and i would say that they've achieved it yeah um it is it is a hard object to find yeah (laughs) this movie um um it effectively is not released anywhere, anytime, uh, and probably will not be ever again if, if you know, Nintendo can have their way. And that is because it is a deeply strange film. It is. And you can find clips online on YouTube and various other
1: places, but but the actual, like, watch the movie from beginning to end, you really have to go to the darkest corners of the internet to find it. Or like and
0: Australia and buying a Blu-ray from there. That's what I meant. Yeah. <laughs> that's,
1: Australia is the darkest corners of the internet <laughs> yeah. from my perspective.
0: Um. um but, yes. I, I, but I wanted to talk about it because if if this is our eulogy, right, if this is our final farewell to this movie before it gets lost to the sands of time, um, I thought it deserved a loving eulogy from people who care about
1: it. Well, I thought it deserved an honest eulogy. I don't know about a loving, I mean, going into it, I didn't know about a loving eulogy because I honestly hadn't seen it. It's been probably 25 years since I saw it. And the last time I saw it was probably a random Saturday on HBO, and I like flipped it, up. but like I had like fleeting memories of it, but I had not sat through it start to finish
0: so, so until this moment. As as oldies, I think it's on us to kind of set the table, the the stakes, the setting for when this movie came out. Because if for our younger listeners, you know, you see uh, people talking about Last of Us being out, and they're like, hey, they can make good uh, video game movies. But but I don't know if everybody fully comprehends what bad video game movies were like. What just what that? that
1: well, not only not only bad. I mean, this was literally the
0: first the first one. one.
1: Yes, but, this is before the Tomb Raider movie, before fucking Uncharted with Spider Man in it. Right, but before, people think those are
0: bad. Those are just generic crappy movies. Right. Yes. Yeah, is this like set a new. I don't
1: even know. It set a, a rubric for like, okay, we're gonna make a video game movie. It's gonna be this. It's gonna be chaos, and, and it is the deep, the weirdest fucking shit I've ever witnessed on film. And the like, ah, uh, I have so much to say about this movie. I'm very excited I, yes. to be talking about it. Okay, so yeah, you want it? You want to dive in? You want to start with a yeah. little? Well, let's do it. And I'm gonna just, we're gonna start in the best place to start, which is basically the very first scene of the movie and i'm not even (laughs) i'm not even talking there's like an introduction to the movie that they clearly tacked on in post-production where they felt like it needed more explanation and more setup so there's like a really bad new york accent guy saying like hey back then there was the dinosaurs and they got killed by a Comet, and then, but it turns out the dinosaurs were still alive. And then the actual movie starts. I'm going to ignore that intro part because it's just very clearly tacked on and talk about the very first scene of the movie, which blew my fucking mind out of my ears. Uh And you know what? It didn't stop after that. The very first scene of the movie features a woman dressed in like a fantasy robe running through the rainy streets of New York City at night, clutching what appears to be like a futuristic bassinet. It's like, you know, in her arms and she runs up to the doorway of a church and, you know, very traditional scene. The woman leaves the bassinet in front of the church and runs away and then for some reason climbs down into the sewers and runs off into the fog in the sewers. And then we cut back to the bassinet, the classic image of the nuns opening the door, taking the bassinet inside, slowly opening it up and revealing an enormous, like ostrich-sized egg, like a Yoshi egg, <laughs> like a Yoshi egg, but without the circles on it. It's just like a, of like a plain colored egg. And then
0: a, and wait, 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 pause. And now you're thinking, <laughs> surely there's a Yoshi inside. Surely there's a Yoshi, and in and this is the origin story of a Yoshi. Great origin story mm-hmm. for Yoshi. Okay, okay. Turns out there's actually a
1: human baby inside of that egg. And the nuns react with terror, and there's a dramatic shot of stained glass and Jesus looking on as this human baby is born from within what must be a demonic egg. <laughs>
0: yes. And then the movie starts. <laughs> and and that is, well, it's Daisy. Yeah, that's because, Daisy. Because, well, again, this is so, 1993, y'all, this is... Super Mario 2, Super Mario 3, Super Mario World, that that window of the Mario universe.
1: It's really like Mario has like pretty much made a shitload of money and is about to make a shitload more because they're on the verge of releasing the third game.
0: But to say there is no story for Mario. I mean, not that there's a bullshit. Well, no, no, no. Not that there's a lot of story now. Not a lot. but, But there's there's way more now. Like we know, yeah, the sure. fun, We you know Nintendo knows the difference between Daisy and Peach and Paulina or whoever, right? Yeah, and and they know the difference between King Bowser and King Koopa. They're, they're like, yes. there's not just this weird kind of mishmash of like I don't so what, know. So you're you're taking issue with the fact that this is Daisy? I, I'm not taking and not no issue. Princess I'm Peach. just saying the character is called Daisy, but kind of yeah. represents an amalgam of Daisy Princess Peach. That sort of thing. Right. And and to be clear, Daisy first appeared in the Game Boy Mario
1: game, right? Princess Daisy was in Super Mario Land. Sure. She's in the green dress, I believe, whereas Prick Peach is in the pink dress. Yellow. So she
0: is in the... It's not like they pulled the name out of thin air. Like, she does exist. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, I, I, I'm not... Again, I'm not blaming mm. that. I'm just... I'm saying the opposite. I'm saying these people had so little to work with. Like they didn't have a ton. They didn't to work have with. a that ton had... to work with, and even that Nintendo. Is th- this isn't like you know now. We're like, oh, we have a you know a clear character bible, and we know everything that we want from this thing. I, I think like there was still confusion on what these things
1: were. Okay, how much do you want to like go into the actual production of this movie? Oh, we have in to. This... We have to go okay. so far into it. And, so, and I think we need. I think. I think to start it off, you need to know this from the jump. Well, there's a plant sent me a a really terrific Australian-made documentary on the making of this movie. And within that documentary, uh, one of the producers basically talks about the process of getting the rights to make this movie from Nintendo. You know, you picture an image of an IP these days and how protective companies are, especially video game companies are of IP, what they allow and don't allow, and why it needs to be true to the franchise versus not. And so you have that in in your head. But back then, because there was no standard for it, the way it's presented is that the producer basically went to the president of Nintendo back in 1992, whatever it was, and was like, I want to make a video, I want to make a movie based on your popular video game, Super Mario Brothers. And the president was like, yeah, but we could go with all these other big name studios. You're a pretty small studio in comparison. And the guy was like, yeah, but I'm the, I'm here, and they're not. And the president of Nintendo was like, oh, okay, no, that's a good point. He was, like, convinced. It was like a pride move, and he was convinced. And from there on out, once Nintendo agreed, they were like, we don't really care what you do. We're making video games. You guys do whatever you want. And, man, is that so fucking clear in this entire movie.
0: Well, I, I think they also assumed... You'll make a move You'll make a Hollywood movie, like you. I mean, it you, is you know, a Hollywood movie. Uh, I mean, it was made by people who have money in Hollywood. That that yes. is, by definition, true. And from like a budget standpoint, it's a Hollywood movie. Like it's big. Yes, but but like okay. So if if I were Nintendo and I was like, you can go and do this, I'd be like, I wonder who they're going to get to direct it. I don't know. Probably some like animation or kids director, right? And the producers instead are like. What if we got the people who invented Max Headroom? Right. And that 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 to me is the whole reason this movie is as deeply as weird as it is. Because from 100%. there, it, it all branches out, right? And hundred percent. And if they had not made that decision early on and they had said, like, hey, we're going to make a kid's movie, um, it would be a totally different film. But the problem is – so for people who do not know Max Headroom, Max Headroom is, quote, big uh, – think like i'm i'm moving my fingies around when i say quote here the first um cgi character holy cgi character um uh like personality like a vtuber today yes and uh he would introduce music videos um as one of his many duties but the reality is it was actually just an actor wearing a prosthetic's Uh, With really awful lighting and a green screen behind him. Uh, So it was entirely fabricated. Uh, But it was deeply, deeply weird. I mean, like now it would feel like pop art or like avant-garde art, not like uh, something that would be on TV.
1: Yeah, and they saw like, that. You can't like, it yeah, to, like if Good. you found like a really bizarre TikTok channel that like had 16 views on it, yes, and then
0: you decided they should make the Mario movie. Yes, that yes, that is what it feels like, <laughs> and and they are like this rules. Like we are going to make you know we're going to use all of this trippy psychedelic imagery of this game and use it as a jumping off point to make like some truly bizarre fantasy um, about two you know about a dino that. 65 million years ago the human uh path of evolution and the lizard path of evolution split and those two realities can get merged together into one evil universe yeah. run by King Koopa. Yes. Wild. Wild. Super fucking wild. And the and, and the script gets written as that. The script gets written by um this pair of writers who are I believe are British writers who would go on to write across the universe that trippy Beatles oh, movie know that. Yeah, which makes a lot of sense. Yeah. It gets written. Everybody signs on to the movie for this script. And then behind the director's back, behind the back of like everyone involved in this, the producers get cold feet and are like, yeah, we can't make this. This is what are we doing? This is like a an adult avant-garde experimental film using the Mario IP. Um, no, we can't do that. And they get n- new writers to basically rewrite the whole script. And everyone shows up to set, and I think it's like Carolina or wherever. And that is when the directors, the actors, everyone figure out what movie they're actually expected to make. Yeah. That it's bonkers. I mean, the sets are built, these massive sets have been constructed. Five stories of a steelworks is
1: where they built the entire like dino topple, dino. York is what it's called they like couldn't they didn't have anything big enough like in studio space so they found abandoned steelworks and just built it in that it's
0: it's nuts and as a result what you end up having with this movie and part of what i love about it is a it's like they filmed a children's movie on the set of blade Runner.
1: Yes, like like, and like it has that aesthetic, well, that
0: like w- weird quasi noir
1: futuristic
0: aesthetic. Do you know why it. it has that aesthetic? No, because it's the same designer. <laughs> 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 it's the designer of Pee Wee's Big Top Adventure or whatever in in Blade Runner, and yeah. was who uh, originally was uh, wanted the job, and the studio was like, "No way, you made Pee Wee in Blade Runner. That's not a match for this." <laughs> and then. Uh, whoever they hired bailed out and they called them back and was like, yeah, whatever, just do it. And, and boy, did he do just that. Okay. So suffice it to say
1: there, this whole production is like kind of a cluster of all these different ideas and people and scripts and Nintendo doesn't give a fuck. So do whatever you want. And in my memory, I remember it being deeply weird but I didn't remember being as entertained as I was while watching this film as I am today. And because of that, I think it
0: deserves a real renaissance. I I mean, I agree. It's a shame that it, we're eulogizing it and it will never be seen after this podcast is recorded. Don't you
1: think like if TikTok was made aware of this, don't you think it would run rampant?
0: I, I mean, especially right now, I would hope, you know, like it, it just feels. It feels like it crosses so many fandoms. Like I think the John Leguizamo of it is like all just profoundly charming. He's like peak peak Leguizamo in this. Bob Hoskins is just like become kind of like a bit of like a, a Criterion Channel kind of character. Like letterboxed people are obsessed with with old Sweet Bob.
1: I mean, certainly people know him from Who Who Framed Roger Rabbit. He's yes, probably his
0: biggest movie. Dennis Dennis Hopper is basically doing his best Blue Velvet in this movie, trying to like method act King Koopa. E- everybody is going for it, and and knowing how disastrous it was behind the scenes, it does give me a lot of respect for everyone involved. That like the the amount of commitment here feels infinitely higher than anything you see in an mcu movie over like the past i don't know five years
1: everyone just everyone does lean into it and i think that's the only reason it works is because everyone is like game which is shocking because like uh, you know we talked about production issues like bob hoskins broke his hand very early in the movie for most of the movie he has a cast designed to look like a hand and they like painted it his skin color just to convince you that he didn't have a broken hand for most of the movie okay sh- should we give a little bit of like a basic plot outline here because okay we, but we need to it, it, it could go on for 15 minutes so how do we like sprint through the plot i'm gonna try to do it okay, okay, do it okay, quick? okay. i believe in you okay so we talked about daisy she catches from an egg 20 years go by Uh, An evil uh, uh, real estate developer is digging a hole somewhere in New York, and they find, I guess, a meteorite. And we also hear in the background that a bunch of girls are getting stolen uh, and disappearing, whatever it is. Meanwhile, two plumbers, Mario and Luigi, who are brothers. Wait, wait. Can you say no? Can you say their full names? Sure. Mario Mario and Luigi Mario are brothers, uh, despite a 30-year age difference. (laughs) And um, they kind of run into Daisy, who is now grown up and is a uh, paleontologist who is studying the meteorite that's down there. And they find their ways down there eventually and get sucked into a portal and end up in Dino York, which is an alternate dimension wherein, as Plant alluded to, dinosaurs essentially evolved in parallel with the humans on the, in our dimension. The dinosaurs, unfortunately, are, like, effectively underground. They have very limited resources. They're miserable, and they're ruled by King Koopa, as played by Dennis Hopper, with an iron fist. It's like a fascist regime. And King Koopa goes around uh, de-evolving people and turning them into Goombas, which, if you think they look anything like the Goombas from the video game, you'd be very wrong. They actually look like uh, stormtroopers with tiny, tiny heads and uh, with, like, kind of Nazi imagery tied
0: to them. Yeah, like, part sh- shrunken head from Beetlejuice. Right. Part Nazi.
1: Right. Meanwhile, uh Mary and Luigi are in this uh, weird space, and they're trying to recover this missing piece of the meteorite that Daisy was keeping around her neck because it has the power to, like, cause the two worlds to merge, and then Dino York and our New York will fuse together and all hell will break loose. So they're trying to stop King Cooper from doing that. And... uh uh there's this issue with de-evolving where like King Koop is trying to like use these beams to de-evolve humans into apes, I guess. Uh he, well, he wants to merge the two realities and take over. Right. He wants to take over. He wants to be the ruler of everything. And we have all the best resources stuff like that. Uh so there's like a lot of conflict. Also there's a lot of mushrooms around or specifically fungus around because King Koopa de-evolved the previous king and turned him into a mushroom for some reason. I don't know why he evolved from mushrooms, but he turned him into a mushroom, and that mushroom-sentient king, who's just like fungus all around, keeps trying to help the Mario brothers in their goal of stopping King Koopa by giving them, like, ba bombs and various other things throughout the world. <laughs> um, they, they team up with... Uh, A Goomba who who was formerly Toad, who got turned into a Goomba, but still remembers the ability to play harmonica, and um, any other beats I'm missing. Um, I I mean that's basically that. That's okay. But the end, the end. They eventually like fuse the two worlds very briefly. King Koopa ends up in the human world. He uses his dia, Dia evolution ray on the evil a real estate developer from the beginning turns him into a monkey. Everyone's like, Oh no, you're a monkey now boss. And then, um, Luigi using his plumber powers manages to take the piece out of the meteorite, unfusing the worlds and, um, everything is saved. I think that's basically it.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's it. You, you did leave the part out where, um, uh, King Koopa destroys the twin towers.
1: Well, I think, I feel like the implication was that they were destroyed in Dino York. So the Twin Towers are visible, obviously. It's 1993. They're visible both in Dino York and in New York. In Dino York, they've got a big hole in them, which is creepy. And and when the, the worlds merge, Dino York's Twin Towers sort of like
0: come over, but then they come back, so it's fine. Do you have a favorite scene from the movie? Do I have a favorite scene? I mean, you did describe one I love already, which is anything involving the abducted women from Brooklyn is great. And Bob Hoskins, you know, hanging out with him is a delight. But I would have to say my very favorite scene is uh, is when John Leguizamo meets his girlfriend's dad. Right. Which, uh, Daisy here... Her dad is the 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 previous king, right?
1: The the fungus king who has now. been and the so king.
0: fully devolved that now he he is just a fungus that is spread across the entire city, and his he, he, a fungus bulb a bulb of fungus hangs over his throne. I believe in the.
1: In the uh, documentary, someone describes it as a testicle. I think John Leguizamo describes it as a
0: testicle. Yes, and <laughs> and when when John Leguizamo meets this giant fungi testicle, his reaction is like, oh, nice to meet you. Yes. He just replays it so
1: straight. Well, he plays it like, oh, I, I really like your daughter. I You know, I hope we can get along kind of thing. He's
0: he Yeah, and it's it. just... I mean, he's it really made me sad in a way that this movie bombed as hard as it did because if it it had been in a different dino world and it had been a huge success, how many more likable John Leguizamo vehicles would we have gotten, you know? I'm sad I mean, that... There, there are a, a, a couple. There are there some, are certainly... but, you know, like a lot of his big roles were like supporting roles and, yeah. you know, the big hit, Romeo and Juliet. It's really, Freak is the, like, big one, right? Yeah. The Pest? The Pest, I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Thank you, thank you, thank
1: you. I wanted to specifically call out another John Leguizamo scene that I thought was pretty great. Uh, there's a scene wherein Mario and Luigi are hiding in an elevator. They need to take an elevator up. And suddenly they're surrounded by Goombas who I guess don't see them because they're in the, like the back of the elevator. And they're like, how do we get out of this? And Luigi hears the Muzak playing in the elevator, which of course there is, even in Dino York, there's Muzak. And realizes that if he sways the Goombas side to side to the, ti- to the timing of the music, they might start dancing. And then they do. And that's how they get out of the situation is he just like fools the Goombas into dancing. Not only that, that comes back later where there's like an, a PA announcement saying like, uh-oh, King Koopa, the Goombas are dancing again. <laughs> so
0: fucking great. That that, that that callback happens like right before King Koopa gets like blasted in the face by a flying boot.
1: Yes. Well, oh, you should men- we should mention the boots. Okay. So you would think in a movie that's based on a franchise like this, there would be direct visual representation of that franchise, and there are a couple. Mario and Luigi do wear red and green overalls, but not exactly like they're on the game, but pretty close. And um, there are two objects in the movie. We'll test your knowledge: to which two objects in the movie are exactly as they appear in the video game? The bomb. Yeah, that's one of them. Correct,
0: and the. Um the uh the 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 bullet the bullet bill bullet bill is also
1: there yeah and both both of them play pretty major uh parts in the movie but bomb specifically like is like the most terrifying explosive known to mankind like everyone's terrified whenever anyone gets a bomb and the bullet bill ties into the boots that chris plant mentioned because apparently in this recreation of mario brothers the only way to jump as high as the Mario Brothers do in the video game, is if you get like super cybernetic- Like moon boots. Moon boots that are powered by explosives in the form of bullet bills that you slot into them. And then it sometimes they like use the boots as projectile weapons. Fucking bizarre. Um, But it's amazing to me that like, they have so many opportunities to make direct visual connections to like, for example, Toad. There's a character in the movie named (laughs) Toad. He has a shaved... He's like a human. He's not like Toad appears. But yeah. He does have a shaved head. They could have easily shaved his head in a pattern that matches Toad's head in Super Mario Bros. 2, which was already out by the time this movie came out. No, they went with a random-ass spiral for no reason.
0: You, you know what it feels? It feels like this movie... Um like somebody had a minute, they were running out the restaurant, and like, hey, I need you to make a Mario movie, and you're like, oh shit, can you like write down what you know about Mario? And they had like one minute in a, a napkin and a little pen, and they just wrote down keywords. They're like, you know, like well, lots of mushrooms and um and you, you, you super jump powers. Yeah, um, and then the fire alarm went off in the restaurant, and the
1: sprinklers came on, so all the notes were all blurred. <laughs>
0: yeah, it, 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 I mean it, it's wild how much stuff in this movie are like, yeah. I guess if you had never seen a single image of Mario and somebody described it to you, I can see how you could get this. It's
1: yeah. If you fed a Wikipedia entry through like six layers of Google Translate, you might get something like this.
0: Yeah, and I, I mean. I like that. I think that's what I like about this movie. I, I I feel bad for people involved who who made it because I think it would be really hard to I just think it sounds like a miserable experience to have had an entire script that you thought you were making and it's already, I'm sure, a little scary being like the first people to turn a video game into a movie. I'm sure that you were a bit of a punchline in Hollywood for that alone, even before, you know, day one of shoots. Um, and, and I'm sorry for like every, every part involved. Like I get why the producers got cold feet and decided, Hey, we need to tweak this, but also it was too late. And I get why the max headroom directors saw this as an opportunity to do something really interesting and weird, because like, why not? There's no story. It was based off of the Mario games. Yeah. Like there's nothing for them to work with and there's no precedent. Um, but I, I it, real case of everybody was on totally different pages. Um, I, I liked on that documentary that uh, the final co-writers were like, "Yeah, we played Super Mario Brothers too." So like, cool. Even they were playing the wrong Mario. <laughs> like <laughs> they were playing the one that <laughs> well, it nobody is the weirdest referenced. of the Mario games. So it, it kind of makes sense, actually. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely the yeah the the, the most upsetting. Um, yeah. Uh, did you know that Danny DeVito was supposed to play Mario? I did because of the documentary. Pretty oh, amazing. Yeah, that, that was a real shocker. Yeah. I, here's what I'm going to say.
1: It is unquestionably a mess of a movie, but I've seen a lot of messes of movies over the years. And the fact of the matter is, I'd rather a mess of a movie that is not boring, and this movie is not boring, than a boring, you know, kind of well-made movie. And... Yeah, at no point was I bored while watching this. I was like completely like, how, why, where, why, who gave them this much money? Outrageous! It is. Uh, if you can, if you have the, a way to watch this movie again, please do yourself a favor because even though it won't necessarily scratch the itch of wow, I love Mario and I want to see him in various things, it's just like a weird fucking movie that's like
0: commits fully. Also, it, it brought love together. Oh yeah, yeah, the Lance Henriksen part. Oh yeah, so yeah. Ki- the The King, I think it, the title is actually King Bowser, which is even more confusing. But the the good King is played by none other than Lance Henriksen, famous for playing Bishop and Aliens. Yeah, he, um, gets, he gets re-evolved into back into his normal form, his human form. Of, he yeah. he comes back to life. He um had the great idea of filling his uh. Uh, fist up with Rice Krispies, and then he coughs them out when he comes back into reality, as if he just had a whole bunch of fungus rotting in his throat. A uh, very clever thing. But uh, on the on the documentary, he's like, "Yeah, you know, I was only on set for a little bit of time, but it was really nice. I uh, I I had to wake up from a million year sleep, and I opened my eyes and I saw." this makeup artist with the best legs I've ever seen on a woman. And I was like, whoa, where is this going? And he's like, yeah, I married her a year later and th- they're still married. <laughs> love it. Great. So nice. G- g- happy for you, Lance. Uh, wasn't what I expected to get in, in this documentary, but you know, he found love in a hopeless place. Good for them. And one more closing
1: homage to Richard Edson, whose oh. mother was my
0: second grade math teacher. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Did you like that the the documentary ends with him uh, comparing him, an action figure of him to other great Jewish action figures?
1: Yeah, it was very funny. What a
0: delight. What a joy. Um, uh, I also love that uh, Bob Hoskins had died the day before they recorded the interview with him, with Edson, who plays one of the, the goons. Um, yeah. And Edson just like could not stop kind of just chuckling about how funny it was <laughs> that he was having to talk about this movie that bob Hoskins like openly hated cool should we take a, a quick break and we can uh, answer some questions on the other side let's do it okay welcome back to the rest use where we talk about movies and stuff um i I have a handful of questions, uh, some from uh, the previous best... You, know, you, know, you don't need the context. Here, here's what I'm going to say. This one's from Viking. I know I'm probably late for this episode, but on the subject of Nintendo, I've been thinking a lot uh, about Nintendo's plans for the year after Tears of the Kingdom. If they're, launching a cool, uh, if they're launching a new console next year, what are the big launch titles? Prime 4 and the next Mario. Would love to hear your thoughts. Did this person say they're launching a new console next year? If they're launching.
1: Oh, if they're launching. Okay. Uh, Okay, so, yeah. I mean, it was mentioned, but I think if they launch a new console next year, which
0: I guess is decently likely. I know we have a bet about it. If I remember correctly, their logic on Twitter was like, hey, we're mostly getting like DLC and expansions for the rest of the year. So it feels like Nintendo would be sitting on stuff, but but that's kind of Nintendo's thing. Often we don't know about what we're getting until a couple months before.
1: Yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't make assumptions necessarily. Um, I think if a new console launches, my thinking is there's two launch games for it. One of them is Metroid Prime Four, and one of them is whatever the Mario platformer is that is the follow up to Odyssey. Um, that seems like guaranteed gangbuster
0: success on their part. And a very, very, very strong way to launch a new console. I would not have agreed with you on Metroid Prime 4, except the fact that they're not planning to make, or at least the rumor is, they're not planning to make remasters of Prime 2 and 3. Which makes me think, oh, okay, this Prime 1 remaster was basically marketing a year ahead of of getting people ready and remembering, hey, why they love these things. Um, So that makes me think you're probably right. I think the guess of um, the next Mario coming out is like 110%. It's got to be, right? Yeah.
1: We had a bet about that, what was it, last year, about Mario platformers, and we're already
0: overdue. Yeah, and I think like a new 3D Mario platformer, right? Yeah. Which, Which, to be clear, I don't think is a guarantee with new Nintendo hardware. Like, no, I don't think so. Not I mean, at even all. I, it didn't launch the switch didn't launch with Mario Odyssey. Mm, or, yeah. It came out the same year. It was in launch window, but y- it wasn't Yes, launched. Yes, but even that was like that that's, that doesn't happen with every new Nintendo hardware. Like, that's true. You don't GameCube ha- always didn't have one. get one of these, yeah. Unless um, you count
1: Luigi's Mansion,
0: which I don't No. Um yeah, <laughs> I I, th- I think that's right. I'm trying to think if there's anything else I would throw. Oh wait.
1: When did Sunshine come out? No, that was after GameCube's launch.
0: Yeah i I could see something. I could see something like a Kid Icarus remake oh. being thrown in there, like like yeah. People have talked about a revival of that 3DS Kid Icarus game, which I don't really care for. Yeah, but I I, uh, I think there'll be something kind of weird like that. Um, yeah, some sort of you know mostly dormant Nintendo brand. Uh, that you know is it's in there for the fans. And what what do we um, think? Uh, do we think
1: Mario Kart Nine? No,
0: right? Not, they, n- not after all. Of, I I feel like that's like they're just never. They're just gonna keep throwing DLC on this thing forever. Now they sell so many copies of the fucking game. The last one. Yeah, I mean, I, I I don't I I do not get the business logic of of what they're doing with a going into nine because it, I mean, it really I mean, feels it, like why... they have an
1: install base of um t- uh, hundreds of million like it's sold so many copies yeah that uh they're just making more money off those people so i think it makes yeah. total sense mm-hmm. I, I have a quick question for you do you think the follow-up to the switch whatever it is will be pretty much the same as the switch or do you think it will do some like weird ass nintendo shit i'll give you the the comparison is it going to be the jump from, like, Game Boy Color to Game Boy Advance, or is it going to be the jump from, like, the GameCube to the
0: Wii? I think I think Game Boy to Game Boy Advance. I think so. I, I, think not, I think they have gotten themselves on a little bit of a pickle that they, as a company, haven't liked being in the past, though. I think they like being innovators and toy makers and, yeah. you know, Blue Ocean philosophy and all that stuff. And I think the problem that they're in now, and kind of no fault of their own, is like in the age of digital media, where most of the time you're buying your stuff th- digitally, like you do not own a hard copy of it, you cannot just play it indefinitely and forever, means that they have to, whatever they create next, should have to play whatever is available right now, right? Like backwards compatibility is just becoming increasingly a thing sure what scares me is <laughs> we don't have any reason to believe that Nintendo will actually do that
1: yeah Nintendo has always loved the idea of you buying the same game over, yet again and over. on a different platform
0: and that is like very worrying for me as somebody who has bought most of my games for the switch digitally and now that we're getting to the end of the cycle I'm starting to get a little anxious that like oh is this it like that. I did I make a big mistake am I not gonna have access to these games in like five to ten years um, I mean you will if you keep that SD card <laughs> yeah I mean no, yeah nothing precarious about that at all yeah right um uh yeah I don't know what what do you what do you think it'll look like I think it'll be uh not a revolution but just a, a
1: cleaner version of the switch yeah I mean I, and I think it I think it will have back compatibility I I just cannot fathom. And also for what it's worth, I know people give them a lot of shit about it, but like consider that the DS could run GBA games, the 3DS could run DS games, like physical, like they, uh, in the physical media era, they, they were okay about backwards compatibility, at least one generation back. Um, So yeah, I don't know. They just built such a huge digital marketplace that they didn't have ever before on any other platform that was
0: this successful and so I,
1: I just think they need to keep doing that.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think that's right. A um, uh, very important question from uh, Zoe. I actually do have an egg steam question. Instead of letting the water run on the cooking side of the pan, has Russ tried flipping the pan upside down? That way you still get the satisfaction of seeing steam, but you don't have to worry about ruining the nonstick coating. Okay. Okay. So
1: uh, I'll have an update for here. Okay. I do not use nonstick pans anymore. Oh. Yeah. I haven't basically since the egg steam situation happened uh, and I started reading more about like PFAS and various other horrible disease causing uh, chemicals that are in nonstick cookware. I just stopped using them. And now I just use cast iron or not cast iron, whatever the stainless steel is all I use for everything. Interesting. You know, what about ceramic?
0: I don't use, I mean, I don't use ceramic. It seems like Mm. kind of a pain in the ass, but. There it is. I gotta, I gotta get you switched. I'm gonna take care of it. Oh boy. It's gonna make your life so much easier. But yeah, no,
1: I I don't know if that changes anything. Um, It's a good idea though. I like that idea. I know there were some concerns about warping, which I assume stainless steel would also have that problem. Obviously, stainless steel harder to not have uh, the egg stick, but I've gotten pretty good at it. Yeah, what,
0: what is it like? Butter, olive oil? I use used?
1: olive oil, and you just have to make sure the pan is hot enough. That's it.
0: Really, you want it to be more hot?
1: Yeah, more hot, because then the the stainless steel molecules get bigger, so that the cracks in the pan become smaller cracks, and the cracks are how the egg sticks. That like little molecules of egg get in the cracks and they live in there and then they're stuck to the pan but if the molecule if the cracks are smaller they can't get in there can't get in
0: those carasses wow you really did your research i really did i genuinely did my research you got really freaked out about that PFAS. i did that's understandable um uh well i think that's it we have um some other stuff that, like other recommendations we do should I do mine? Yeah, I want to hear you talk about this.
1: Okay, so uh, it's going to be one more movie. I know we already talked about a movie, but it's actually relevant. <clears throat> the movie I'm going to talk about is called Streets of Fire. Streets of Fire came out in 1984. It is a, the subtitle is describes it as a, quote, rock and roll fable. And it is directed by Walter Hill. Who very well known, famous uh, both director and producer of many many movies. Um, the closest comparison I would say to this is the Warriors. But imagine the Warriors if it was a musical, and and the Super Mario Brothers movie. <laughs> uh, yeah, and it imagine the Warriors if it imagined a world where the 1980s and the 1950s merged from a fashion and culture standpoint. Such that all chaos reigns. Yes. Yes. And you have a movie that is like this like uh, fog infused, like neon lights, like rainy streets, guy like greasers on motorcycles, stealing women into the night. That would later inspire many video games, including uh, Streets of Rage and um, like Bad Dudes and Double Dragon stuff like that. A lot of those games were inspired by this movie that totally flopped in the U.S. but made it to Japan and was like kind of a hit in Japan. So it ended up being a big inspiration. The movie is a pretty much. I I didn't know know that. Yeah. The movie is pretty much a disaster start to finish from like a structural narrative standpoint. But because of the visuals being so fucking bonkers, and I, again, the Mario movie is like a perfect example. They are very similar in terms of how much they go for it in terms of the visuals. Um, it kind of makes up for it. It also helps the movie is like exactly 90 minutes long, so it's not too much of a, a slog. But like, as a like well edited, well storied piece of media, it is certainly not that. It is barely comprehensible. And that's okay because it is just like kind of this bizarre romp. The um, main bad guy is Willem Dafoe, a young-ish Willem Dafoe, <laughs> uh, wearing at one time he wears a all-leather set of overalls, but is wearing no shirt on. Yes, and that's his look for the scene. And he just plays it completely straight as he like walks through the gang's he, hideout. He looks like one that.
0: minute he looks like the Fonz, the next minute he looks like David Bowie. Yeah, Dr- he like, really David Bowie's interpretation of the Fonz.
1: Yeah, there's a scene where um, the lead character, who's played by a gentleman named Michael Pare, who you probably don't even recognize. He didn't.
0: I, I think he, he is the it. weakest part of the film.
1: He is certainly the weakest part of <laughs> the film. But there's a scene where he is in a diner. And some street toughs make make their way into the diner, and he decides he has to take care of business. And so he stands up from his uh, chair, and he's wearing a duster, and he and beneath the duster is a denim shirt. He removes the duster to reveal he is wearing suspenders, the denim shirt, but the denim shirt has no arms, no sleeves on it. They've been cut off, and he proceeds to kick a shitload of ass within that diner. That's that sort of scene happens quite a number of times. Yeah, including a very bizarre scene with Ed Begley Jr., who like mugs the main characters at one point and then never shows up again. Um, Rick Moranis is great. Rick Moranis does a very good job playing like kind of an assholey Rick Moranis, which is a real departure for him. Um, but he does a very good job.
0: Bill Paxton are, briefly does the
1: Bill Paxton thing. Yeah, Bill Paxton plays like a a bartender that keeps showing up at random times. It is, it's a really weird movie. I think the Mario Brothers movie is a much better movie from a watchability standpoint because this movie has like a lot of slow bits to it. Like anytime there's not like a fight or explosions, anytime it's just talking, it's pretty fucking weak. But uh, this is just like an alternate universe where this movie was a huge success. It was originally planned as a three movie series because the movie tanked so poorly at the beginning it just died right on the vine but yeah yeah it's pretty unbelievable that it exists chris plant recommended this movie so props to you chris plant
0: thank you i i i absolutely adore this movie i personally think it's extremely watchable i agree i agree it's slow but it is um i have like my like it's a uh, after midnight movie yeah you know where it's like if you watch it at the right time and in the right frame of mind it's actually perfect it's
1: kind of fine if you fall asleep for 10 minutes and then wake up like you really haven't missed anything realistically
0: yeah because it will when when you need to wake up it's gonna wake you up yes it's gonna be super loud there's gonna be a concert diane lane is gonna be like singing her heart out god great music great soundtrack i mean it should be
1: because it's a rock and roll fable but it's a great soundtrack
0: uh, and uh, if you're looking at it, you can actually stream it now, which used to be a bit more difficult. And there's a like 4K Blu-ray coming out, I think, this month. And I, wow. hey, I recommend it. I'm just going to say, if you're going to watch a movie that's all about the visuals, you know, why not? Go for it. I think Mario movie first and then this. I mean, that is that is never coming out on 4K. There is. <laughs> there is Miyamoto himself will ensure that that won't happen. Very quickly from me, my recommendation is To Sleep With Anger. It is a 1990 dramedy comedy. It's by Charles Burnett, and it stars Danny Glover in this absolutely terrifying role. He uh, is this kind of like drifter friend of a family who comes to town uh, and, and basically stays with these old friends from the South who are now living in Los Angeles and he is like the devil incarnate like you, you know like you know just somebody who just has such bad vibes but you can't quite pin him down Danny Glover does Danny Glover in this movie wow he, yeah and and he like it's plays so nice so hard against type and and the casting is brilliant because it, it, with anybody else you'd be like why are they letting this person stay in their house like this person is so evil. He yeah. is ruining everything for everyone. And I I I don't I like don't want to spoil any of it. I, I just want to say that it is un fucking believably good. It is so good, and I can't believe it took me this long to watch it. It's on movie right now, but I think there is a criterion release. I think it's probably on Criterion ch- Channel or wherever. I'm sure it's in a lot of places. It was distributed by Samuel Goldwyn. So I I assume that it has like decent access to streaming rights. Um, But I really, really, really recommend it if you like kind of like family dramas, you like um, Danny Glover, like whatsoever. Um, And if you like a good ending to a movie, I feel like a lot of movies, most movies don't have great endings. You know, a lot of movies have really great setups. They can have fun little middle parts, but it's really hard to stick a landing. And this movie, man, like the entire final half hour of this movie is gold. Just um, one of those movies that you like, leave so happy that you watched it. Okay. Um, wow. Yeah. So I, I strongly recommend it. Uh, and that's it. I think I think we did another episode. Yay! Yay! Um, well, thank you all for listening. Uh, my name is Christopher Thomas Plant. His name is Russ Frushtick. And this has been The Resties, where the rest of the best discuss the best of the rest. Resties. Resties. <laughs> Whoops.